Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. Right, struggling to get through to our guest for tonight, but Weiss was still trying to get him back on the line. I want to read to you a letter that he penned during the during the time of COVID, just for you to get his thinking or his thought process. And this is while he was uh, appealing to the president for him to loosen the regulations during COVID times. This will give you an inkling of his thought process, Musmaimana, that is. He writes, Dear Mr. President, I write to you as a father, a Christian, and a fellow South African at a time in which our country is experiencing collective angst about our current sufferings and about our uncertain future. We are mourning both the loss of loved ones during this pandemic and the loss of our freedoms, livelihoods, and jobs. Our way of life has been turned on its head by the COVID-19 pandemic. Facing this, many South Africans are still unable to find solace and comfort and fellowship and community ordinarily found within places of worship. 80% of South Africans self-classify as holding some form of religious faith. And for many, that core anchor and the support structure it offers has been stripped away right at a time when the seas have become enormously rough. Precautions required to stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus are vital and every single South African must adhere to it at all times. However, as you well know, this must be balanced with the need for citizens to regain a semblance of normality in their everyday lives. Freedoms must not only be uncertain or curtailed insofar as absolutely necessary. In this light, and on behalf of many religious leaders, worshippers, and congregants, I appeal to you to loosen the regulations that limit the number of attendees to places of worship at any given time. As our nation suffers and mourns, it is not the political system that will comfort and nurse the souls of so many. Rather, it is the church. It is the community of faith that they belong to which helps one to navigate through these difficult times. Now. I'm reading this so that you understand where Musimamani comes from. We're still trying to get him back on the line. So that you understand he's thinking when we finally get into the conversation about his, his well, agenda as far as schools are concerned, do you understand his thought process? He continues to write in his open letter, Your decision to restrict church attendance is unworkable in the given circumstances. While I understand we cannot open to full, full, full capacity for all churches, allowing an increased 50% of venue capacity is manageable. Sanitizing, wearing of masks, washing of hands, and following of all health protocols will continue to be implemented diligently. I truly believe if a relationship of trust is established between the church and the state, responsibility will be taken on both ends. I was recently on board a Kulula flight between Johannesburg and Cape Town. If hundreds of passengers can sit jam-packed on two-hour flight, and still adhere to all health protocols, surely, surely a place of worship can too. This is where we must take a rational approach to the enormous value that faith imparts on the lives of most South Africans with places of worship at the integral center. The church has played and continues to play a significant important role in our nation. 
Now, I'm reading this once again so that you understand what his thinking is like. He's joining us, or he will be, I'm hoping he'll be joining us in a short while because we're having troubles with our lines. When he finally joins us, we'll be able to engage him on what he thinks now as far as education is concerned. Remember what I was suggesting at the beginning, that we have lost our compass as, a, as people of faith because we tend to take the curriculum that we get from governments. We massage that curriculum just a little bit. We spice it up with a few texts from our religious doctrines and then call it religious education, which by far does not qualify any educational expert and they have come through to make this abundantly clear. It is not religious education. You cannot tell me that coming to radio and sharing a few texts that makes us a religious radio station, oh hell no. The fact that we will come on radio and have a religious program for two hours does not make SAFM a radio, religious program. But we need to have an understanding as to what's going on. All right, now that you understand, I'm hoping we do have a clear line to Mr. Maimani. Good evening to you, sir, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening. Good evening to fellow yeah, I'm hoping we're going to be able to hear you. Your line is still breaking, but let's try and continue. First and foremost, um, thank you very much for coming through. We really, really are interested to hear what you have to say. We'd like to have an understanding. Just give us a definition, if you will, of what you mean uh, when you're talking about education, particularly in the context of religion or people of faith. What's your understanding of education? Yeah, look, you know, all of us understand that knowledge is such a powerful enabler for any citizen. I actually happen to think that when we talk about faith, certainly from my perspective, the identity of God is the is is knowledge, is all knowing. All that's where and so when you link that to the notion of education, it historically was a way on which people could be able to develop, articulate new ideas, and be able to give expression and purpose through that. All education is designed to empower people for the future, to maximize whatever opportunity they can. And if you look at history, you think about the Greeks and how they sought to be critical in how people think so that they could contribute to society. Today, I really believe that emanating from that vision, what faith gives us is a sense of values. It's the idea of hard work, it's the idea of integrity, but more seriously, it's the idea of Ubuntu. And so for me, when we infuse education with values, we then help human beings not only understand their interconnectedness to one another, but the notion that we share common sense of humanity. We see the divine in another human being. It matters in education because all education has a particular value set. Today, people will talk about the decolonization of education. Colonialism was an expression of a particular type of values that gave you a sense of worldview. When I speak about Ubuntu and values in education, I now want to infuse a set of values that speak to that shared humanity and interconnectedness. So faith, in this instance, without trying to suggest the notion that all education must be religious, it's this idea of looking at values in our education system so that when a child has gotten through our education system, not only can they identify a fellow human being and see the divine in that human being, but that child is able to say, 
how do I deal with interconnectedness in such a way that I can economic, economically contribute socially and ultimately be able to ensure that I'm a responsible citizen and contribute to the well-being of further human beings? What is dysfunctional about our current education system? Well, one, I think it doesn't prepare citizens for the future. That's the first challenge. So if you think about the beginnings of any child, we don't have ECD centers that are functional as a fundamental start, which means that in the first thousand days of any child's life, their ability, their brain functioning um, is severely impaired. And for many of our kids, by the time they reach the age of 10, don't have the capability of being able to read for meaning as a basic skill as that. Secondly, when you understand our primary school outputs, you realize that there's no fundamental basis upon which we build on STEM subjects, so science, technology, English, um, uh, mathematics. Uh, young people don't know how to participate in that. And when they get to high school, because of the poor preparation that we've given young people, you get a pass rate that's now been augmented to mean that young people can pass at 30%. I actually think it's correcting that injustice, uh, but, but we're not fixing the problem. We're just making it easier for young people to just simply pass at 30%, which doesn't prepare them for the future. The second is our education is severely impaired because parental involvement is low. Our history is such that parents didn't engage uh, were separated from upbringing their own kids. We know that the success of any child is on the basis of the fact that that child must be able to have a responsible adult at home. If there's no responsible adult at home, that child's probability of stepping out of school is far higher. And then, obviously, we talk to the issues of infrastructure. There's no dignity. You see, I think our education robs people of dignity when you force teachers and learners to use pit latrines in school. So if you go to places like the Eastern Cape, you discover that teachers are still using pit latrines and so are learners. We had an incident recently where a child drowned in a pit latrine. Now, that is a violation of the dignity of that child and that educator. We, we know of an incident where a child had to dig through feces to pick up a cell phone. Now, that is, that is a violation of the dignity of that child. And then lastly, I do think in the throughput, so when you get to grade 10, the education system says to you, you can opt out and go to a TVET college. And when young people get to a TVET college, we know that there's only a 9% throughput in that, which means we are preparing young people for unemployment. We also know that when we talk about 81% pass rate, it's actually a meaningless number because 40% of those children would have dropped out by the time they get there. Only some will end up at university and those who end up at university, only 20 2% get through all of that. So I think the grand picture, honestly, is that we haven't done enough to repair the historical injustices of of Bantu education, which was designed to dehumanize. Its vision was to dehumanize black South Africans and give them an education that only would prepare them to be farm workers uh, in, in that instance. And that's why Afrikaans was such an important lesson for people to learn. What is our vision for education today if we're not helping young people say, look, we are going into a digital economy. 
why don't we now start to use subjects that say young people, it must be mandatory that a child must learn coding. It must be mandatory that today when we get into our education system, it's fundamentally the, the majority of it is blended learning in that the majority is digital and some of it is physical presence. We must review that. That's why I'm committed when I table this 10-point plan and I'm passionate about education is because I want to give parents vouchers to say, let the parent have a voucher that they can choose which school the child goes to. They can contribute to that. So that the learner who comes out at the end of that journey is a citizen who not only contributes to the good of South Africa, but can be competitive in a global market. All right. Um, before we engage, uh, the lines are open. I always want you to know this right before we engage. Um, the lines to send your text messages and your voice notes. 614 107. If you want to call into the studio, call us on 0860002032. Again, 0860002032. In conversation tonight with Musimayamane Bosa ya Bosa, so to speak. He is a leader and the president of Build One South Africa. And uh, his 10 point plan, so to speak. Let's engage there. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried when we use words like early childhood development does not develop our children. Um, what standards are you using there? Because, again, we are not talking about religious education here. We're talking about scientifically developed education systems, not even African. Quite frankly, any of all the tenets of our education systems through all the various kinds of the curricula that we had developed in South Africa, whether it is the National Curriculum Statement or outcomes-based education or any of these, they've been problematic. So I'm curious to understand, uh, what do you mean when you're saying it does not? Because this is a, a product. The current curriculum that we have is a product of many variations of curriculums that we have or curricula that we have. So educate me. What are you referring to, sir? Are you, are you uh, as a direct question to me? Yes, sir. So, of course, the current education system is a product of actually, in some ways, a learning, you know, when because I used to be in the classroom. So I, I have a huge sympathy for what goes on in the classroom. And very often there are minor things that occur. We went through multiple curriculum designs and then we did, um, you know, we had outcomes-based education in the view of saying, let's rather give kids skills rather than just technical knowledge or pedagogy. Uh, and then furthermore, we then went into now what is currently available for our learners, which I would argue still does not prepare them for the world of work or doesn't deliver the outcomes that we want. Now, the hard yards that we've got to do is actually we lack two things as a country. You know, we talk about faith. People perish for the absence of vision. We don't know what kind of economy we want. Sorry, I when you say current, you're referring to NCS, correct? Yeah, the National Senior Certificate. I mean, the entire curriculum design all the way before you get to the National Senior Certificate. Okay. okay so, so, so it lacks the objectives of what we want to see at the end of it. So, so that's why we give young people life orientation, which to this day I still am unclear what we want to achieve out of that subject rather than actually give them critical reasoning, etc. When you look at the assessment criteria, even at grade 12, we're not helping young people become full participants of an economy as we desire. 
So uh, we must ask ourselves in South Africa, what kind of country do we have? How do we prepare learners for that society? And ultimately, how do we then beyond that uh, uh, feed through into the economy? That's why one of the proposal I made, which is not that education is, is part of education, is to actually give a national civilian service, give young people a year that when they finish school, a young person who, for argument's sake, might have grown up in Dobsonville, Soweto, like myself, can go work as an intern for six months in a, in a law company, in, in, in our own other education sectors, in our healthcare facilities, so that they get to experience a broadening of their view, just in the same way as a child who would have grown up in Constantia or a wealthy suburb, can then be able to go and interact and work in a township in the healthcare facility. Because we know in that first year after school, there's more that happens in the development of that child. They make choices about their future that are well-informed so that they can be able to be full participant and value-sharing citizens. But we don't have a vision as a country. The, 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 the current government can't tell us, ultimately, where our economic strengths are. If our strengths are going to be in tourism, as an example, I, I use that as one example. How are we preparing young people for that sector? How are we using our TVET colleges for that outcome? If it's going to be commercial and finance, how do we help young people strengthen those so that we give vouchers and incentives uh, uh, and bursaries for young people to do maths and science so that we can stimulate that sector? If it's going to be minerals and, and geology, how do we help so that our universities are not these places that are not only correcting what happens at high school, but become places where young people stay there for long periods of time because in the main, they don't have a hope as to where they'll go after that. What I'm trying to establish is what role does faith or religion have in that? Because all of what you've said has absolutely nothing to do with any of the three main religions in South Africa or the subsidiary religions for that matter. So my curiosity is, while we understand all these maneuvers that you're introducing or you're suggesting for our education system, they have absolutely nothing to do with our faith. No, no, no. But let me, that is the point I started off with earlier. The point I started with earlier is that as a person of faith, I have particular values that are driven by my faith. My values, that's why I spoke about the value of Ubuntu. It isn't just an idea that's just been stemmed out of the ground. It is out of the fact that I see the divine in a fellow human being. That is fundamental to faith. Because if you don't, if you see a fellow human being as less than, you've lost the ability to see the divine in them, as Archbishop Tutu had said. Furthermore, you then further ask yourself the question, is my mission or my orientation in life purposeful to be able to see the work of the divine or current society? I can't be living in a country where ultimately there are other citizens who are, you know why I got into politics? I'll say this as a person of faith. I got in there because when I left my home, I can remember this living in one suburb. I had four toilets and I got to another community and they only had no toilets. I thought that's an injustice. That injustice needs to be conscientized through education. That's why Ubuntu must infuse through our curriculum so that young people eventually know and when they walk out of school that they have a sense of mission and purpose. That's what our faith compels us to do. But you are not going to be able to achieve that if you don't have a curricula that represents that. Neither do you have a system, an economic system that responds to that. People like Martin Luther King, highly steeped in faith, 
understood the power of educational outcomes and the sense of justice that they then wanted to put into that. Countries, let me take Scandinavian countries as a good example. They have a principle called building, which actually is very similar to Ubuntu. So what they eventually do, written by philosophers like Soren Kierkegaard and many others, they then infuse those into the curriculum layout, into how even classrooms are set up in that they shared knowledge so that you have values. Ultimately, you then start to edge, to, to share values that people think it's wrong to steal. They learn that at school. When people think, I must, dis- I must throw away litter outside. You know, I, I grew up in Dobsonville in Soweto during apartheid. Even in the midst of that, because of the kind of education I got in the Catholic primary school that was there, I knew never to litter, even though the country treated me as a subhuman So, being. So basically I, what you're saying, you, Mr. Maimane, is you're not bringing or you're not introducing or incorporating faith into the education system. As a person of faith, you're perfectly comfortable with the circular state and its education system, which is diametrically opposed to any standards of any faith that we have in South Africa today. No, it's not saying it's a secular faith. I think let's let's understand another thing. The education system I, is a secular faith. It has principles okay. and standards that are against your faith as a Christian, for example. No, no, no. What it also allows me to do is that through the powers of the governing body, I can make a choice. I can make a choice as to what faith I choose to follow. Part of it, as a Christian, I send kids to a school where I would expect and want them to know that they can learn about other faiths, have a sense of tolerance. With respect, Mr. Maiman, I'm not talking about your choices of what is already there. The buffet that you are being given to choose from right now has already been preset for you. What I'm suggesting is, before there is a buffet, the chef must prepare something that is akin to your faith. And in the current buffet, you don't have anything that comes from your faith whatsoever. No, and that is, but, but I already have spoken about curriculum, that curriculum needs reform. What That's kind of reforms are you talking about, sir? What the reforms would you like to see? What kind of values we put in education? What kind of morality we, 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 we help young people educate? When I spoke about Ubuntu, is Ubuntu not a value that emanates from my faith? All right, let's take a call for you. Let's go to uh, Mahi King. Mbona, good evening. Good evening. Hi. Yes, I want to talk about this religion education. Go ahead. Yeah, you see, when you check here, there's uh, about nine uh, different uh, churches. Can I can I mention it from from the top? I can see the Roman Catholic here, which one started by Boniface. Hold on, hold on. And Let's just focus on education. Let's not read from Wikipedia, sir. Come on. Yeah, you you see this education. Sometimes you can talk about education, and then you're educating children the wrong things. That, that that's where the, the 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 danger of the religion, because you're gonna teach the African children something which is not relevant to them, and you're hoping to build something to build better Africa, and you are creating a bad Africa. That is the danger of this religion education, because before you teaching the children, you must know the sources of that religion, where it come from. You cannot expose something to the African children, something which does not belong to them. And what, what would that be? That would be a danger. That's why today... So what is it society, that belongs to them, Bona? 
Hello? What, is, what are you suggesting they should be taught? What is it that you believe belongs to them? Before you're taughting them, you must know their sources what, of what you're going to teach them, where it comes from. Mbona, I need to hear from you. What do you believe belongs to them? What is it that they're supposed to be taught? Because if we're talking about whatever Musi is talking about, he's talking about teaching children something which has not come from Africa as a whole. He didn't say that, sir. He did not say so. No, he didn't say that. So what he's talking about teaching the All right. children? How about you listen to him and then you can call him after you have heard what he was saying, okay? Let's go to the voice note. Good evening, Naye. Musi mm. is raising a very valid point there. There's something that always confuses me. We're having the National Senior Certificate and we are having the Senior Certificate. But when these two groups of people write, they write the same question paper. And then I don't understand. If they write the same question paper, the same content, why should we differentiate between senior certificate and national senior certificate? Meanwhile, there is no differentiation in terms of what they are sitting for when they're writing examination. Mashishin Gomtlanga, thanks. Mashishin, I need you to remember that we're trying to get an understanding of what role religion plays. We're not trying to maneuver and rearrange what already is out there, which is not religiously inclined at all. Our endeavor for tonight is to find a contributory factor that can be validly and articulated to be a contributing factor to change and more of what we have right now into be something that can we 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 can identify as people of faith. Let's go to Nonde in Cape Town. Good evening, Nonde. Nay, good evening. Yes, How are Dog. you? Well, thank you, Dog. How are you? Good. Let me just summarize this thing quickly. Yeah. For the sake of everybody. When Smoosis Obengu was our first minister of of education, in about nineteen ninety seven, three years into his tenure, we adopted OBE, so-called outcome-based education, or if you like, NCS, National Curriculum Statement, in 97. Copied and based from Australia and New Zealand, right? Because we wanted no system that was Bandu, Bandu education of 1953. So anything other than Bandu education would do. So, 97 then, we had it, in 2002, it was revised, called RNCS, Revised National Curriculum Statement, around 2008, with Enzimut at the helm. It was then called CATS, Curriculum Assessment Policy Statement. All these revised and whatever now is basically one and the same thing. What I mean is, when I did when I was part of the myself, yeah. you know, doing some postgraduate studies. Anyway, you will find now that what we saw last year, right? Yeah. Private education, point something, whatever. In the past 25 years, it's been exactly like that. Always the IEB will do best than any other system. Yeah. Because now they know what the purpose of it is. 
this education system or this curriculum policy statement or whatever yeah. is setting up the black child for failure. Now, in so far as religion is concerned, I don't see any value or any impact that religion would make. I thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much, Dogo. Thank you very much. All right, uh, Mr. Maman, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to both of our uh, voice notes and also the call. First, I need to take a break. Stand by. Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith. We're still in conversation with Musmaimani. He's our guest for the hour, talking to us about his, well, 10-point plan as far as people of faith are concerned and how they can contribute to the education system currently. You heard the voice note and the call. I'd like to hear what you have to say, but first let's go back to him. Uh, Musmaimani, you wanted to respond. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I want to say that one of the things that I know sometimes, I don't want to sound ahistorical here, you know, the apartheid state was a very religious state. And it introduced Christian nationalism. And it endorsed, it used that to endorse apartheid. No one can deny that. Post-1994, we adopted a constitution that said people could set up schools that if the governing body so chose to set up a Christian school or set up a Muslim school or a Jewish school, all those schools are protected in our constitution and exist, which for me is progress in that it gives citizens, which is a fundamental principle of faith, the right to choose where they want to send their child. Secondly, as a personal uh, destiny, you know, my son goes to a school that you would class secular. But, you know, during their break time, they get to have their own faith group that meets, they pray together, they do that. Now, I'm grateful that we have a constitution that gives them that right and protects them to do so. So when you say to me, what are other aspects of faith and parenting that we must bring into play? I'd encourage people to understand what goes on in their governing body. That gives them that right. But furthermore, to say as a community, what are the values you want to put in that school? So that when young people, education doesn't just stop in the classroom also means what, whether those young people are honest sports people, whether they develop into all of that. Now, we have spoken about curriculum, and the previous professor who called is correct in how he articulated the maturation of our curriculum. But furthermore, we've got to be able to say part of what we ought to be doing with life orientation is also enlightening history and giving young people critical reasoning and engagement across a broad spectrum of, of environments. And then lastly, Oh, 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 lastly, the point that I wanted to make is I'm grateful for so many people of faith who stepped up in the breach. If it wasn't for the Methodist Church, as an example, setting up a school in the Eastern Cape to say, let Nelson Mandela go to that school, I don't think we'd have Nelson Mandela. Let's, let's be honest. I'm grateful for the Catholics in that they set up a school in Dobsonville, Soweto, and said, actually, black kids can, black kids can think, they can, they can develop. And they set up a school that engaged critical reasoning and all of that. Those were interventions of people of faith who set up institutions that were able to say, we will rail against an injustice that is occurring. And it is true in the healthcare sector when I look at hospitals that were set up. So there's been a lot done in that name, but it doesn't need to be legislated for because governments should not be the ones telling people what faith they have. Every time that's happened, it's had other uh, adverse effects. 
All right. Um, before we continue, sir, um, let me just respectfully say you are being a historic if you're going to suggest that what was done by the apartheid regime was Christian nationalism. There was absolutely nothing Christian about how they did things and what they did and all the pieces of legislation they claim to be from Scripture are theologically incorrectly applied. And there's no way any theologian could say that was Christian nationalism. But I do understand perhaps because it was painted Christian, therefore it was purported to be Christian nationalism. But when you read through all those policies, of course, they were not. Then we don't disagree. But you're of calling course, it Christian nationalism, sir. But what I'm saying is you can take, there was a, they wanted to educate South Africans to say, Good neighborliness, as a, it was, was good Christianity. That's a misinterpretation of scripture. But they infused it into curriculum and laws that were bad. Then we why, all know that. Then why call it Christian nationalism? Because that is not Christianity. That's what, that's what they would class it themselves. But you know better now, I'm don't you I'm not saying sir? I supported it. I abhor the system of apartheid. But that's what they called it themselves. It's yeah. not me. Yeah, but, I'm telling but, you what they called it. But as history has it now, we all know that it, they can call it whatever they want. We know that's not Christian. Right? Correct. Now, so, you and I, now you and I agree. So when I'm we come on national radio, we don't call it Christian nationalism. We call it where it is. We call it by its rightful name. We don't call it Christian nationalism. That use Christianity to advance an evil process. All right. That's not... That's the point. And I'm not trying to play wordsmith here. All right, no I'm problem. trying to tell you that so much of apartheid was supported by even the Dutch uh, Reformed Church. Yeah. Let's, That's let's... why we've had to deal with reconciliation at its core. All right. I want you to address something that was said by Unonde. He was suggesting that perhaps there is really no role that can be successfully and fruitfully played by the parent in the current, current curriculum. Your response there. Sorry, could you repeat that for me? Ngonde called in and said, in his after his, his articulations, he said he himself does not see any role that can be successfully and fruitfully played by a parent in this current curriculum. I'd like to hear your response you to know, him. I totally disagree with Ngonde. Ngonde must understand that, you know, when you think about family, and I'm a family person, I advance the ideas of family, uh, my kids benefit from that. They benefit not only that I get to participate in their education and monitor, but I know that scientifically research has proven that the presence of a parent in the schooling system, in the sense that they monitor values, they ensure that the child shows up at school, their participation is there, they monitor progress, ensures the success of the child. More than half the kids born in this country are born to single parents. This tells you that we've got a systemic program, pro problem that is developing in our country. Let, let me and let me let me follow this this thinking that you're bringing here. So you're saying first and foremost, the curriculum as we had have, have it needs to be altered. It needs to be managed so that it can best serve our interests as the nation. But again, you're saying you're disagreeing with Ngondi when he says a parent cannot help better what is already not so good enough for us already. You're suggesting that. A curriculum that has already been identified to have reduced the quality of education of the black child or the South African pupil. If the parent jumps in, he miraculously transforms that already contaminated education system into a beautiful system. I'm not f quite following no, that no, logic, sir. I'm not following you, to be honest with you. Let me respectfully reiterate the points Let, I've made. No, no, no. I need, I need you to respond that, to Nord. He says no, I'm, the education I'm system as we have it right now is not good 
whether you bring in a parent, whether you bring in a pastor, it doesn't matter who you bring in to an already contaminated and ill-fitting education system. You're arguing that the parent must come in and this already ill-fitting education system will be miraculously transformed into a perfectly fitting education system. That's what I, I need you to clarify. No, I never said that. My first point I made when I entered the show was that our education and curriculum system is not delivering the outcomes that we ought to deliver. I've already argued the fact that our education system lacks a value prism that works for our country. I think we can't deny I've made those two points. So let's not say I've said the curriculum as we have it now is functional. The third thing I've said to you is that given the governing body's role, parents, that is the body that the parents interact with to ensure that values occur in society. So I never once said to you that an imperfect curriculum system mixed with parenting will suddenly deliver the outcomes. I'm saying parents can advocate for the kind of curriculum and systems they put into schools so that we can be able to have an education system that works for the community. At, so at, I don't at, at governing body level. They can, that's one area. But the next area is I've just two sentences back prior to this, to this point. I said to you, as a parent, remember, my child brings home homework. They bring home as a diary. The school tells me I'm educating your kids. Let's use a very practical conversation that we're having about sex and sexuality in a universe that deals with wokeness, etc., etc. My kids come in and I can interact with their values on that point of view. I can challenge and say, I don't agree with this, as we've had to do as parents. What I'm asking, Mr. Maiman, is... What I'm asking is, are you suggesting that when a parent participates at the school governing body level, when he goes and attends the meetings, when he sends his views and all of those letters, all those wonderful letters we see at governing bodies read in our meetings, they can change the curriculum? They, they can choose the values of the school. That's the point. That's why we need public education, what not that, state education. The values don't change the curriculum that they are taught on a daily they basis. They do. They do. All curriculum has a value set. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And countries all over the world have got particular values they want to put into their curriculum. Do you think if a school that has a fairly, con let's say, conservative religious basis would want to say, our curriculum will advance. For example, there's a debate going now about uh, bathrooms or what kids are taught about gender identity, right? That's a debate that's happening right now, whether we have same-sex bathrooms or how kids identify themselves. It's an important values discussion. Our constitution holds particular values. Our parents also have a view to put into the school's curriculum, to be able to engage in the governing body and say, for our community, this is where we sit as a governing body. We think that actually we identify a girl, gender and sex are consistent. All right. That's uh, what all right. that gets put into the system. That's what biology then becomes. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a break and come back and take some calls for you, sir. There's a conversation that was happening last year. Uh, I think we've long moved from that part, but I understand what you're coming through with. I'm gonna take a break and come back and take some calls and some voice notes if we can. We're running out of time. You're listening to Facts of Faith. Lupolwana on SAFM. Five minutes now before eight. Infuse values into schools and the curriculum will change. Let's go to Ngosi in Newcastle. Good evening, Ngosi. Ngosi, good evening. How are you? 
Good evening, Naya. How are you? Well, thank you. Go ahead and go see. Yes, Naya wanted to take a bite on what you are chewing there. Lower your volume in the background there, Ngosi, please. I've done that, sir. Go ahead. I'm saying I wanted to take a show what you're biting there in this judo. Go ahead. Um, with the reference to one, um, the point that uh, the, your honorable guest has made about the, uh, having a religion in our schools, I do not believe that that is going to take us um, any any further. I think that at school, what needs to happen, learners needs to be taught about different religions, but not necessarily um, making them to, to 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 subscribe to one of the religions. And it should also be one of the choices that is there, that it is okay also not to take any of these religions, but they must be taught, uh, learners must know about Christianity, about Buddhism, about Hindus, about anything, and must know the difference, and must know what it entails, each religion entails. He was not suggesting that at all, Hengosi. He was not suggesting that children should be indoctrinated. He's simply saying that learners must must have values that are going to be infused by their parents. I'm coming then. Quickly, quickly, Ngosi. We have, we have four minutes, just three minutes now remaining. One of the values that he suggested was Ubuntu. And from where I'm coming from, is that Ubuntu may may coincidentally be um, also aligned with Christianity or with any religion, but it is not a religious concept. It it exists without any religion. In fact, um, there are people who are not religious and right. who are practicing Ubuntu. Got it, so, got it, got it. Got to move on. Thank you very much, Ngos. I really appreciate it. I have three minutes. I need to give uh, uh, Mr. Maiman an opportunity to respond to this. Go ahead, Mr. Maiman. Thank you so much, Nay. I think, you know, if I was to sum up the point, and I've just, um, uh, just a quote that comes from the apartheid policy statement that said that we will educate all Afrikaans' kids in Christian nationalist values. That's the apartheid policy statement as was set up in 1948. I just thought I must settle that point so that we don't walk away here confused. That the system was evil and brutal, no one can deny. It subjugated human beings. I want to finish this point by this. As a person of faith, one, I think that citizens have been given the absolute right to practice whatever faith they so choose. Our system of education empowers people to make the choices as to how they want. I want our society to return back to our values of Ubuntu and seeing the divine in others and the interconnectedness of what we want. And if we're going to overhaul our education system, let's deal with a curriculum that reflects our values as a society rather than what was inherited both in apartheid and pre-colonialism and ultimately focus on the future of this country so that we develop citizens who can contribute to our society as we'd like to see it. So can we then, in, in the final analysis, you're not really bringing in religion or faith into the curriculum. You're simply offering your opinions on what a religious person should contribute no, into I'm the education system our constitution allows us to choose so if you want your child to go to a christian school they can go to a christian school if you want them to go to a muslim school they can that is what our constitution allows that and we understand what I'm, what I'm suggesting to you sir is what you are bringing to us today or tonight is that south africans of all faiths must go to their governing bodies and they infuse their values 
in the school governing body and with the hope that it will cascade and go through up the ranks up until the curriculum befits their faith. And what Musi Maimane will do when he takes over this government is to ensure that our curriculum positioning reflects the values of Ubuntu. I can tell you that as a Christian, that's what I will advance. You, you cannot do that, sir. That's not up to you. Remember that your decisions are not your decisions. You simply ascend to or not agree, but it's, it's not going to be coming from you now, will it? Curriculum design is the prerogative of the Minister of Education. Again, let me suggest this to you. It does not come from the minister whatsoever. Oh, are you vying for office of minister? Where does it come from? If you can educate me, perhaps uh, this let's, will let's be helpful. Try, uh, I have to go to the news right now. Did you just say <laughs> when you're minister of education, are you vying for office of minister? I'm running for president. <laughs> okay. Can I, can I invite you again that perhaps we can talk on, on this, Mr. Maiman, because our time is up. I have to go to the news now. Will you agree that we... I'd love to do that and I'll, and I'll send you uh, just my own views so that we can, we can talk from Lovely. that. Perspective. Lovely. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming through, Mr. Maimane. Mr. Maimane is the head of Bursa. Let's build one South Africa. It's 8 o'clock. It's time for us to go to the news.